Today on the We Invested podcast, we have CC Lagator, and he is the co-founder of Options AI. CC, how are you doing today? Good. Great to meet you. Yes, sir. Great to meet you as well. And you know, before we get started, would you mind just letting the people know how they can, you know, find you on the internet or social media or, or you know, uh, reach your company page? Sure. The, um, you know, optionsai.com is the uh, main site, you know, talking about the company and the um, platform. And then I can be found on Twitter. I do um, some writing and, you know, we do some, you know, tweet out some information on the markets and things like that. And that's at Learn Options. Awesome, man. That's awesome. So, you know, let's just kind of take it from the top, man, and start from the beginning and talk a little bit about, you know, where you're from and where'd you grow up? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, and, you know, all the way through high school, went to, went to college, not too far, but in Philadelphia. And then after college, my first job, you know, out of college was in New York trading, uh, an options, you know, training to be an options market maker. And then from New York, uh, you know, I was in New York about 14 years with, you know, a couple of stints in Chicago and San Francisco and briefly in LA. And now I've been in Boulder, Colorado for the last 11 years or so. That's awesome, man. So, yeah. you know, how would you say that growing up in Baltimore, you know, kind of impacted your outlook on life and success? Well, it's interesting. I, um, it was an interesting time to grow up in Baltimore. It was sort of a city that, you know, like a lot of cities at that time, you know, I was growing up there mostly in the eighties and, you know, it's, it was having its sort of, you know, struggles as most cities, most East coast cities that had like lost a lot of industry. Um, you know, in Baltimore, it was, you know, it was a steel town a long time ago and shipbuilding and things like that. And all that stuff was gone. And so Baltimore, you know, at that time was sort of trying to reinvent itself. And it was, it's a very sort of prideful city. Um, and also very weird. It's a very odd city, which is kind of cool. Like the people are really, you know, unique and very different than the cities around it. Like it's sort of is in the shadow, obviously with DC, which is right next to it. And then, but even, you know, along that Eastern seaboard with, you know, much bigger cities like Philly and then obviously New York and Boston and things like that. So it's a very prideful city. It was a city trying to reinvent itself at the time. Um, and then also I would say that sort of oddness, like there's, there's a really interesting uh, character aspect to people from that town. And it always like, you know, everything's a little bit tongue in cheek. Like nobody takes themselves too seriously. Um, you know, it's a small city amongst big cities. So, I mean, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you grew up all the way through high school in Baltimore and then, you know, you, you moved to New York and San Francisco. So, you know, what would you say are some of the things that you learned, like some valuable lessons that you've learned just, you know, moving to these different locations, different sides of the country, you know, culture shots and things like that? Well, the biggest thing is, well, there's a couple of things. Um, a is just sort of challenging yourself, right? Like throwing yourself up 
into, you know, much bigger, less safe spaces, right? Um, where you're, you know, I remember going to, so I went to uh, the University of Pennsylvania in Philly. And, you know, suddenly, if you thought you were smart, or, you know, good at good at things, you'll be quickly uh, surrounded by people that, you know, some of the most brilliant people that you could meet. And, you know, I mean, funny story about that in my uh, class, Elon Musk was a classmate of mine at Penn. And I mean, I didn't know him, but he wasn't famous then. But it's sort of funny, like the years after you're like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's the type of person that you were alongside in some of your classes and things like that. So just that sort of challenging yourself. And then, of course, moving, you know, to New York City, it's like, I mean, the ultimate test, right? I mean, you are surrounded by <clears throat> a ton of really impressive people. Um, it's sort of the anonymity of New York is really interesting. Um, you know, nobody is, you know, there's just so many people and, you know, even like celebrities and people that are like billionaires are like sitting on the subway, you know, next to, you know, you as a 22 year old, right? Like the, a nobody. So all of that's really interesting. And then I would say, you know, that willingness to move around the country like you have, um, that's like a, you know, really, well, it's a luxury, right? You know, people in prior generations to us didn't really have that luxury a lot of times, but you know, that's the challenge in yourself. It's like throwing yourself out there and really, um, you know, you don't know what's going to happen if you move across the country, right? And uh, and then just seeing the different perspective of different cities. I mean, I remember being in Chicago and I'd never really spent any time in the Midwest. And even Chicago, as big of a city as that is, it's pretty interesting. Uh, you know, there's a Midwest vibe to it. And you're, you come from a place like you were just in New York and it's very different. And then of course you go out to California, completely different vibe. And even Northern California versus Southern California is a different vibe, right? Exactly. So just getting, you know, getting out there, challenging yourself and, you know, and then, you know, and it gives you a perspective. Like if you meet somebody, um, you know, from LA, you sort of, you know, it's like, all right, I've spent some time there. I, I kind of get where you're coming from. So, I mean, you know, you mentioned just challenging yourself and, and not being afraid of like throwing yourself into new and unknown situations. And I, I feel like, you know, that speaks volumes about, you know, the company that you've built and created uh, today. So, you know, I, I feel like that's a, a great segue into my next question. You know, what is Options AI? Yeah, so Options AI is an online brokerage. And like other online brokerages, you know, you can buy stock, sell stock and things like that. But, um, you know, obviously from the name, you can probably tell that it's focused on options and options, uh, you know, for your audience, everybody's I'm sure heard of that and particularly people that would be, you know, tuning into a podcast like this. Um, you know, it's, it's the most simple derivative out there. And it's also the one most, um, you know, accessed and traded by retail audiences, right? So I, I think probably about 70% of options volume is still institutional, which means like hedge funds and banks and, you know, that sort of thing. But a sizable chunk, 30, you know, maybe even 40% at this point is retail traders and they're accessing this 
um, fairly complicated market, much more complicated than saying, you know, I like Apple and I'm going to buy Apple stock. Um, what options are is saying, you know, I think Apple might do this at, by this point in the future, right? And so what you end up having is, um, you know, the industry is like every, most people can access some level of options trading on their brokerage platforms. The way it works is you sort of have to build up your experience level and then the brokerage will allow you to access slightly more complicated um, things. But what we did is we took like a kind of a completely different approach at Options AI. And we started to think of, you know, a lot of people had put options trading on their brokerage platforms in sort of a traditional way that hadn't really changed in 40 years. And it's basically an options chain, which is a wall of numbers and you know some other metrics around it uh not to go too far into the weeds but like, like a lot of the things explaining the math behind all of that and you know they're basically saying go out there and you know start to trade and start to figure this out and you know a lot of brokerages do great jobs with education and things like that but the platforms themselves are you know they hadn't really evolved in decades and so what that means is from a retail trading perspective is that retail traders do opt trade options in a way very different than the professionals. And if somebody is opening up, you know, their first brokerage account and they are like, you know, I, I, I want to figure out this option stuff and they get in there basically both by rule and by just sort of, you know, the platform itself and what it's, you know, what it's sort of telling you to do is, you know, people's first foray into options is generally just as like lottery tickets, right? Exactly. And, and so people will get in there and they'll say, you know, what if this stock went up 50%? I could make a ton of money if I, you know, bought this call for a dollar or 10 cents or whatever it is, right? And that's fine. You know, occasionally you do want to kind of live life and take a shot, right? Um, just like all investing, right? Like you kind of do want that fun part of your portfolio, right? You, you want your really boring parts of your portfolio because that's the money you depend on. And then sometimes you want that more speculative stuff. But that's really, really speculative. And it's basically the types of things. I mean, it's in the math. It's like that's a 8% chance of happening. Like why? I mean... How much money are you going to make over time betting on something that has an 8% probability, right? right? So it might make, you know, you might, you might hit the jackpot one time, but you should, you know, it's like going to Vegas and, you know, rolling a number and roulette. It's like, you should walk out of that place and never visit that city again, right? So if, if it worked, but so what Options AI does is it's a highly visual platform. And it's basically the sort of the way that I always saw options, which were in space and time. And, you know, everybody knows how to look at a stock chart and say, all right, well, the stock went down this low before and it went up this high before and now it's in the middle. And I'm, I really like this company and I really like the stock and I'm going to buy it, hoping that it goes back up to that high, you know, that it was two, three months ago or something like that. Well, in options, the mistake that a lot of retail traders would make is they'd go and they'd 
see what that prior high was like $230. And they'd say, I want to buy a 230 call. And it's like, well, you might not even make money if it goes up to its prior high now, because you've done such a low probability trade. There were other better ways to do it, right? How about playing for where the stock is now at 200 to play for it to go from 200 to 230, right? And then even beyond that, if you're bullish in the stock and you think it's going to go higher, what about selling to the people that are bearish? You know, doing an options trade where you're basically saying, I don't think this stock is going to go below 180, right? And so all of those things are available in the options market, but they're very difficult to learn. They're very difficult to, once you do learn, to sort of do them regularly. And so we build a platform where it's, you know, you could do multi-leg options trades, much higher probability options trades in a couple of clicks, highly visual, easy to, you know, sort of navigate as a product. And ultimately, you know, the goal is with the product is to provide the tools and the little sort of nudges isn't the right word, but it's sort of by, by putting the, the right tools in front of somebody, you hope to empower them with better decision-making, right? And that's sort of, you know, when you're building a product in, the space, in a space like this, that's, that's really your goal is like, how is somebody going to interact with this product and what kinds of decisions are they going to make? And that's, you know, the really exciting part about building, you know, building product. So, you know, something that I, that I noticed while I was, you know, checking out your company's website is that it feels like your company really puts a focus on and emphasize, emphasizes um, the tools that you mentioned. So I, I believe I saw something that said Options University and right. learn and check out the blog. So it's like you, you guys really focus on the educational piece of it. So, yeah. you know, why is that educational piece important to your company? Why is it, why is that something you guys focus on? Cause that's the first platform that I've seen with something like that, as opposed to others may just give you a few blurbs about it. You guys have whole sections and blogs dedicated towards this. Yeah. Well, it ultimately comes down to, um, you know, sort of what I was saying about the, that you're trying to encourage better behavior right? Uh, or at least providing the tools to help somebody find their better behavior. And you have to really, you know, you have to care about the customer. So ultimately, like if somebody opens up, uh, you know, a, an options AI account, um, it's not good for anybody if they're wildly speculating and, you know, potentially losing money. And then even more so than that, it's just you don't want to um, you don't want to put people in positions where they are you know sort of doing more of more of their portfolio or putting on more risk than they would be able to actually handle right and so one of the things that we do is we do defined risk options trading only and that was a decision we made very early on in the product and basically what that means is. You know, if you were going to do a trade on options AI and it says like, all right, you could make $700 on this trade or you could lose $500 on this trade, that $500 is, you know, it's clearly defined. Whereas a lot of people's experience in options is, you know, they get into it. The math is, you know, it's not 
this isn't like, um, you know, like uh, engineering a rocket for NASA. Like this, the math is achievable, but it's very confusing and it can be disorienting, right? And because there's a lot of variables going into the pricing of options and there's a lot of things, but basically what it's, what it's like is um, a good analogy would be, you know, if you were betting on a horse race, you know, you have the favorites all the way down to the, you know, the long shots um, and you get odds, you know, at the beginning of the race. Well, what options trading is, is what if you were able to buy and sell every horse all the way through at every point in the race in, up until the last second before the finish, right? So that can become a little disorienting. And by having everything defined risk, it's like, all right, now I know I can start to develop strategies. I can start to say, you know, what's worked for me really well is when I do things at like a 60% probability, you know, out a month. What hasn't worked for me well is um, doing something that's a sure thing, 95% probability with two days left. And then they always seem to go wrong on me because the company reports bad news or something out of the blue. And so just allowing that sort of transparency for the users, they can start to develop their own, um, you know, sort of habits basically. And so all of that education is to empower them to prop A, to properly use the product, but then B, um, providing enough things for the, you know, a lot of people that get into training in general, and then particularly options, they're sort of, we call them puzzle solvers. And they're the type of person that knows this is out there, has a curious mind, you know, perhaps they were like, they consider themselves good at math and they're sitting around saying, you know, this is very strange that I don't know more about this world. And yet all these, there's millions of people out there, you know, trading these things. I want to figure this out, you know, and I want to, um, and those types of puzzle solvers, like you, you, you can go as far into the weeds, as you want with them. And so what we try to do as a company is say, here's the most important things that you should know without overwhelming you. Because if you overwhelm somebody with too much information, it's very hard to compartmentalize what's the most important thing and what's the least important thing. And so you start with the most important things, which is you can risk X to make Y with this type of probability. Here's what that looks like on a chart. And then if you want to keep going deeper and you want to figure all this stuff out, like there's way more and it's, it can be a lot of fun for a lot of people. And then, um, yeah, so you, you want to, you want to have it both. You want to, you want a, a user that's just trying to like advance their trading and they're on that part of their journey. You want to be able to satisfy that and make everything clear and straightforward. And then you want to, you know, provide enough for the person that really wants to dive deep. That approach, you know, that your that your company takes seems like a, a really great way to also just build trust with your users and, and with the clients and with the people that use the product. Um, and I feel like you said, man, just that transparency, letting them know, like, hey, you have the possibility to make this much or you could lose this much. You know, and then it, you kind of leave that decision up to them to see, wow, is this a risk I want to take? Is this something I'm willing to do? So I think that's that's really awesome, especially in the, the world that we live in today where you have to read these hundred thousand, hundred thousand word agreements before you click on something. And it's like, you don't really know what you're agreeing to. You just say yes or whatever, you know? 
Well, you can tell the, um, I mean, you've probably seen this a, a bunch of times. You, you can see it in FinTech a little, you know, not a little bit, a lot. You see it certainly in social media and all where you can just sort of tell the company doesn't really like their users. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. And you exactly. really, I think if you want to build good product, you really have to care about the users. Like it, it should pain you like when a user is doing it wrong and losing money and you be, right. you should wake up that morning and be like, we got to fix this, right? Whereas like, a, you know, a lot of products, the users are the product. So exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you mentioned, you know, moving, moving to New York and, and kind of San Francisco and just different places, um, you know, working in the industry. But what I want to ask you specifically is, you know, how did you get started in the financial service industry as well as, you know, the tech industry? What kind of gave you that spark, that interest to let you know, like, this is the direction I want to go. This is, you know, this is what I want to spend my life focusing on. Yeah, well, it's interesting. It was um, not something that I grew up either even interested in, right? So I was not one of those kids um, that grew up like reading the stocks, you know, tickers in the Wall Street Journal or anything like that, or, you know, I wasn't that guy. Um, and I went to a school, you know, Penn is, you know, very, a lot of kids go and work on Wall Street afterwards. There was like, you know, I get there and I was like, I've never even heard of Goldman Sachs. I don't know what that, I don't know what that is, right? Um, you know, so you have these super driven kids that are, you know, their goal since they were 14 years old was to, you know, go to Penn and get a job at Goldman Sachs or something like that. And I wasn't one of those kids. Um, now, the interesting thing about going to school in Philadelphia is it's about 45 minutes or an hour away from Atlantic City. And so, you know, we would roll down there some nights, you know, um, the 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 pubs would close in Philly, as they say. And, uh, you know, Atlantic City was open all night. And so we'd go down there and we'd, you know, be playing blackjack and things like that. And so I, you know, I had a, I didn't have a passion for the stock market, but I really enjoyed uh, the math of, you know, certain, um, you know, games of chance and things like that and poker and things like that. So anyway, that's a long way to get to the point, which is a friend of mine interviewed with a, an options company. And so the, the, the major options exchanges at the time, there's obviously the, the center of the universe of the options industry is in Chicago. And that's all of the futures and options and things like that. And it goes back to the days of when all that stuff was invented for, you know, farmers and pork bellies and, you know, all of that sort of thing. And, but the major exchanges at the time were Philadelphia, New York, Chicago, and San Francisco. And a friend of mine interviewed with the company I eventually ended up with. He interviewed with them in Philadelphia and he came back um, to our apartment and said, you know, I don't think I'm going to take this job. I'm looking at something else, but you should definitely go talk to these guys. And so I went and talked to them and like the interview was all about, you know, it wasn't about the stock market. It wasn't asking me what a financial report, you know, looked like or, you know, what stocks I liked or anything like that. It was more, uh, you know, we talked about games of chance. We talked about probability, you know, things like that. And then 
you know, so that's, so I, I took the job. It was really interesting. And I, they, you know, they sent me to New York and then you train in that, you know, you're basically an assistant uh, to, you know, a trader. And that is kind of hilarious, right? Like it's a really crappy job, you know, for like a year and a half where you're getting like a phone thrown at your head and, you know, there's all this stuff flying around you. You have no idea what anybody's saying, right? They're using all this like language and code. You have no idea. Everything's moving fast. There's like, you know, people screaming and that whole thing. But it's a great, you know, throw you into the fire and like, you know, you've got to start figuring it out. And then the way my company worked was there was an after, you know, after the markets closed every day, some of the older traders would basically be in charge of the edu, you know, like the, the education program for, you know, the young, the young people that weren't traders yet, they were trainees and you just learn. And then about a year and a half later, they send you into like a crowd on a stock exchange or, you know, in this case, an options exchange. And in my case, it was in San Francisco um, where you're in a big crowd of traders and they, they always talk about it when they're training you. It's like the first time you open your mouth to like do a trade in a big crowd, like with these older guys that have been there for like 30 years and they're practically like part of the furniture. I mean, it's really nerve wracking, right? Like you're like open your voice to like, I'd like to buy, you know what I mean? So that yeah. whole thing, it's, it's just really wild. And then what ended up happening is, you know, then I became like a specialist, which is, you know, a, a person in charge, like a, a really large book of options and you're in charge of the crowd uh, of people from other companies and things. And I got involved with the education program. And so then I started sort of, that's a really interesting twist where you're starting to, you know, like, how can I get this through this, you know, 22 year old's head that knows nothing about this business or how any of this works? Like I had no idea, you know, like how do I make those light bulb moments click? And so anyway, getting involved in that education. And then later, you know, when I, st I started working with several people that are on CNBC and uh, writing content um, and, you know, doing that sort of uh, content on the internet. And that was my first um, experience with actually seeing, seeing all of this through the retail traders eyes. So I had seen it through my own experiences. And then I saw it through trying to teach somebody that was trying to be a professional. And then once you're on sort of like the, you know, becoming an, a public educator, you start to have to see it through retail and, you know, like what's, what's the person that just, you know, opened an E-Trade account and now they're getting thrown all of this information, you know, what's this all about and how to, and what I started to realize is, you know, there are ways I always saw this visually, like I wasn't particularly good at math. Um, my wife and I met in that job that I was describing and she was a math major, you know, at Stanford. So she was like this like brilliant math mind. And I was like a dumb athlete, you know, that wasn't like a math major and all. I was an urban studies major. I was a liberal arts major, right? And who didn't know anything about Wall Street. And I realized that we saw everything differently. You know, she was doing the math in her head when we were at work and I was drawing pictures in my head. I was seeing everything visually, right? And I'm like, well, that's gotta be like half the people out there. 
right? Their brain must work like mine and half of them work like my wife's. And when you start to then get into, all right, if we were, you know, and to back up one second, you know, meeting my co-founders who we founded the company with, you know, we sat down to try to rethink, you know, how all of this would work and how we could present it. And you start realizing, you're like, you know what, this should be more visual. You know, it's not only that half of the, um, half of humans that think more visually when they think of math, but it's also just easier for everyone. It just makes their life easier and more understandable. And you get, you know, it just makes more sense. So that's how we sort of made options AI. So, you know, based chart based and like trading off of a chart and you can do other things that are more traditional on options AI, but it's really the center of that is that visual aspect. Man, you know, just kind of listening to your story and listening to how you got started, it seems like you really, I want to say, like, hit the jackpot because, you know, you have that interest in in probability and, and, and numbers, but you also have the interest in people and teaching others. But not only do you have, like, the interest in teaching, you also have the empathy to try to put yourself in their shoes and say, well, how would they learn it? You know, like you, you're, um, you, you observe. So you know, I learn it like this. You realize your wife learns it like that. How can yeah. I combine the two? And then, lastly, you know, you're creative. You know, through writing content and figuring out how to actually make it visual and make it fun. So yeah. it seems like, man, it, it, you just had all the perfect attributes to to create this company. But you know, if you had to pick like a, a side that was, I guess, your favorite part about it, like whether it's teaching the people, educating people or the visual creative side or the probability and the numbers and which side would you say you kind of gravitate towards the most? Well, I would say, you know, all of those things you just mentioned, but then even just from, you know, the entrepreneurial side of things, just the problem solving, right yeah. so just getting thrown it's it's sort of you know the empathy of the user like they're going into this world that they're not as an expert as you was well, an entrepreneur you're going through that every day right you're constantly like you know i'm working on something in marketing or something that's not my area of expertise and that's sort of like problem solving and that yeah that can you know sort of inform that empathy to the user in options um where they're encountering something that's very intimidating and it shouldn't, it shouldn't be intimidating. You're like, um, you know, this, if, if explained properly, this shouldn't be intimidating. This should actually be kind of fun. Right. And those are the sort of the moments as like an entrepreneur when, you know, you have the, there's so many frustrating moments. Right. And a lot of those times it's when you feel like you're in over your head. Right. Um, and because when you're starting a company and you're always understaffed and you're overworked and you know, you're doing things that aren't your area of expertise, um, those moments or those breakthroughs are really exciting though. Like when you do figure it out in that light bulb moment, right? And yeah, so I would say it's like a combination of like a mashup of all of those things. But yeah, that, that sort of applying, observing yourself even when you're going through your day as building a company and then sort of saying, all right, well, you know, that's there's a little bit of a metaphor there for our users, right? And how can we give them those wins, you know, where they really feel good and they're like, 
man, I just did an iron condor in options. Like, how cool is that? So th those are the moments you strive for, for sure. No, I agree with that 1000%. So, you know, I guess the next question that I want to ask is... So, yeah, I guess the next question that I want to ask is that, um, you know, how can retail traders access the trades that the Wall Street professionals use? Yeah, and so that's that's what we've centered the product around. And, and just to, to back up on the, the rules are that, you know, you basically, when you first request access to options, you know, like on your brokerage platform, They'll generally, the way the industry works is they'll make a, an analysis of your um, experience level, right? So you're doing it through an account application. So anybody that's done this on, you know, Robinhood to E-Trade to anything, they've, they've gone through this where, you know, you have to state that you have money and you have to state that you have experience, right? And most people, you know, have, if they're, applying for an options account, they have stock experience, right? They've bought and sold stocks and things like that. Most people, um, when they're first doing options, um, they, you know, obviously they don't have any options experience, but they've hopefully at that point studied and read up a, enough that they can figure out what's a, what a call is and what a put is and what, when you're long or short, any of these things. And what Options AI does is we then, we are level three trading, right? So if you're the type of person that, you know, has an E-Trade account or a Robinhood account or whatever it is, and you've said, you know, I've bought some calls, I've bought some puts, I've uh, attempted my first, you know, sort of slightly more complicated um, trade. I, I tried to do a call spread then you're sort of like the perfect, you know, person at that point to, um, you know, to check out something like Options AI because you're essentially, the product itself is so focused around um, things like multi-leg trades, like rather than buy a call, buy a call spread. Rather than sometimes doing that call spread, sell a put spread, a credit put spread. Do you think that a stock, do you want to earn income from options, which is a word to describe, to describe selling options and watching them, you know, go down in price. And so a version of that would be, you can actually make money when a stock goes sideways, you know, and you can do things like a, you know, a credit, it's an iron condor, an iron butterfly, or, you know, those types of trades, which are, th this is the next level stuff. And this is not like these are great entry level trades into advanced options trading advanced is quote unquote because these are they should not be scary trades and in fact um and in fact a lot of these things like a, a four-legged iron condor that is risking sixty dollars to make forty dollars with a 65 percent probability of profit it's a great trade to figure out this world of options and so anyway, with Options AI, it's like, um, you know, go do an iron condor with, with a couple of clicks. Do you think that this stock will not go above 110 or below 90 in the next month? Well, here's a trade for you, right? And then suddenly you are doing those trades that are happening at hedge funds, right? 
And so those hedge funds and they're, they got this big stock portfolio and they are hedging, right? So they're doing certain options trades to like protect their risk. They're trying to add income by selling like, you know, call spreads and things against their holdings. When the stocks go higher, instead of selling the stock, they'll sell a credit call spread. And, you know, they're, the, these are the, there's the same trades. And that's sort of the focus of our business is that that shouldn't be so inaccessible to retail traders. There's no reason for retail traders. It's almost like a, um, you know, like a casino floor where they just tell you, you can only do these beginner games on the casino table with the worst odds, right? If you want to get into the, I don't know, backer, the, the poker room, right? Where like you can actually be skilled, you know, and make money. You can't do that because you don't have enough money or you right. can't do that because you don't have, you know, it's just, there's right. something wrong about that. And so it's basically, yeah, it's like, it's, it's sort of throwing a lot of retail traders to the wolves and saying, you, you know, you can only play this, this game with bad odds. So it's like, you know, your company is really making the playing field even. And yeah. I think it's pretty cool. Cause you would, you just mentioned a couple trades and a couple, um, I would call it industry secrets that I never even heard of. I didn't know existed. I didn't know it was a thing. So yeah. now, you know, I'm interested in like reading up on it and learning a little bit more about, you know, some of those iron condors. Iron, yeah, iron condors and iron butterflies and things that you were missing. And it sounds super cool. And, uh, you know, it seems like your company is just a great avenue to learn more about it and to kind of get, get deeper into it. Yeah, one of my uh, co-founders, he has this, funny stories tells about like one of his friends who, you know, like I think has trades a little bit and maybe has traded some options. And he was talking about like that, the iron condor is the one we always use. Cause it's just so like badass sounding. Exactly. And he's like, he's like, I don't even know what that is, but I want to be an iron condor trader. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that's a, that's a true statement, mm -hmm. but yeah, man. So, you know, a little earlier you mentioned, that I guess your favorite aspect about what it is that you're doing and what you've been doing for years is, is problem solving and kind of, you know, the entrepreneurship side of it. Um, so, you know, I guess the question that I want to ask you is that how did you build your business acumen? Like is, is, is problem solving and entrepreneurship a skill that you, is it a skill that you've always had or is it something that kind of developed over time through trial and error? Well, Part of it is like, I've never had like a, even trade, like I wouldn't even call trading even professionally, like a real job, right? You are kind of an entrepreneur. So the way we were paid is basically, you know, how you did, right? And so I was a market maker and the, you know, you are making markets for everyone. So basically the way, just for the audience, like a, the way a mar market maker works is in stock, in equities, you know, in most very liquid, um, you know, two-way markets, if you're going out to buy Apple stock, there's a pretty high probability that somebody's selling Apple stock at that exact same moment. And so you're getting paired up with the person selling Apple stock. In options, you know, and then there are market makers in all those stocks, obviously, but it's only, you know, they're only doing part of the, the, making markets. Most of it is just the buyers and sellers moving that pricing, right? 
in options, basically what you have is you have all of these, you know, almost infinite um, variables, right? Like, uh, meaning th there's this expiration every Friday. And then in this stock, there are, you know, 50 strikes from every $5 or every two and a half dollars up and down. And then that goes out two years, right? So obviously if you're going to buy an August 45 call in some stock, there's no chance that somebody's selling that same call at the same time as you're buying it. So that means a market maker is out there making a market for you. And they're doing it based upon all of that, of their own, they have to manage all of this risk. They don't have the luxury of going home at night and having like a completely you know, oh, I've paired up everything. It's like, I've had to analyze all this risk. I've had to put all of this together against each other in my book. And all of that you're doing it. And then at the end of the quarter, it's like, did you make money or lose money doing this job, quote unquote. Right. But, you know, so you are kind of entrepreneurial. You're, you're analyzing your own risk in real time. You can swing for the fences and try to make a ton of money. Or you can be really, you know, stable and like, all right, I'm, I'm going to, you know, try to make X amount of money, you know, and the best traders, honestly, they're always those, those people. You can tell the person that walks in the door that's going to like take down the company. Um, so you can just see it in their eyes, right? And so anyway, you, you become kind of entrepreneurial in that spirit. And then I would say once, you know, like I've gone beyond that and I've done, you know, a couple of things before this, but I think sort of being almost like comically open-minded where you are, you know, you just sort of like, well, why isn't this different, right? Like how has nobody in this industry thought differently than this, right? And that's like that real exciting part of being an entrepreneur is, you know, basically going against the grain a little bit and saying, you know, questioning everything. And saying like, you know, and I often do this, like we'll be building product and I'll purposely not look at the, the big boys, right? Because I'm like, I don't want that infecting my thinking. I'll check in on it eventually and see how, you know, like how many things we shared in common. But I'll be like, oh, you know, we need to add this to the product. You know, people are asking for a scanner for trades, right? And I purposely won't look at E-Trade and things like that and how they do it because I'm like, all right, how would, how would I want to see this, right? You know, and how would I think, how do I think other people would want this presented to them? So that's really that kind of like mindset of like, um, you know, you probably run across this a lot on your podcast is those people just willing to, you know, I mean, it's a cliche thinking outside the box, but you kind of like, if you're wired that way, it's almost impossible not to. I really like that. I really like what you said and how you explained it, like comically open-minded. I thought right. that was cool. That was the first time I heard that, but like, it's very true. Like you, you have to, you know, you have to just be, I guess, willing to, to, to push the envelope or willing to question the norm in order to be successful. Like those are how, you know, the biggest people thrive and succeed, you know? Yeah, and you'll you'll be horribly wrong sometimes, right? So right. there's a downside to it. You're like, what was I thinking? <laughs> no, exactly, man, exactly. So I mean, you know, while you've been building this company and, and and you know, it sounds like you guys take feedback from your clients and from your users, uh, you know, which I think is also a, an amazing thing that the company does. 
what would you say are some of the roadblocks or some of the lessons that you've learned, you know, just throughout your career as an entrepreneur building this company? Um, well, personally, and this can go across, like it can be, you know, I'm sure everybody runs into this, but I would say overthinking mm. some things, right? So you can get so, you, in, when you're building a company, it's like your obsession, right? Like it's mm -hmm. waking you up in the middle of the night and then you can really overthink things. And occasionally we have to catch ourselves, like myself and the co-founders and we're like, oh, I cannot believe, like, let's just stop talking about this. Let's just throw it out there you know, this one particular thing and see how people react because you cannot right. guess these things, right? And I would say that's one, that's a mistake we make. It's a mistake I always make. I'm sort of on the overthinking, you know, part of that. Um, but yeah, you, you know, that paralysis and, and inertia of like having to get it perfectly right, like you have to get over that because you're not going to be able to guess what everybody wants and you need that feedback. And so I would say, you know, particularly people that are doing product and digital product and things like that is just get it out there right. and, um, you know, see how people react and then react, like create problems for yourself, right? Where you're like, and that's a great thing we do sometimes, my co-founders and I, is we're like, oh my God, what if this happens? Or what if this happens? And it's like, that's a great problem to have because that means we are doing something right that we have to figure out on the fly and we've got to solve that. And so that's like one bit of advice I would make is, and I'm sure everybody sees this in themselves. Is like, you know, I, I totally overthought that and I should have just done it, you know? Right, so. for sure. No, I agree with that 1000%. And it's like, it's not necessarily just like throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. It's like you're taking, it's, it's calculated, it's strategic what you're doing, but you still at some point just gotta pull the trigger and just try it, you know? Yep, exactly. And then collect the data. Right? Exactly. What happened, you know? Exactly. Yep. So, you know, how would you define success as an entrepreneur and as a co-founder? Co you know, how do you define success? Um, well, that's interesting. I would say as, as an entrepreneur and as a co-founder, you know, you should be, you should be waking up every day kind of, excited to like you know like we've talked about problem solving and all like exciting to so excited to solve new problems and things like that and continuing to move forward so i think it would be i would be very nervous as, if i was very satisfied with everything we've built and you know like I, that would be a very weird feeling because i would be like somebody's going to creep up on us right <laughs> unless you're you know continuing to move forward so uh, you know maybe the success is that you never actually right reach it i don't know but that also sounds horrible right it sounds like you're like a hamster on a wheel so i don't know if that's like success but you know you still want that passion and that excitement and um yeah so i would say like that waking that feeling of waking up every morning and be like you know I, there's so much like interesting things that we're going to figure out today how would you like for people to remember you and your company um way like way long from now like am i dead uh, <laughs> all right i'm no. dead no. <laughs> okay you look you could be dead if you want to be okay. dead in this, in this example <laughs> i would say you know i would say taking something very intimidating right in in capital markets and making it 
much more straightforward and understandable and taking that fear away. And also, you know, I hate to use the word democratizing because everybody says that, but like truly democratizing this part of the market that is so, um, that can be so intimidating to people where horrible things could go wrong and, and, you know, and sort of like putting it all together where people can find that comfort and confidence really. And so sort of providing that confidence to retail traders to, you know, something that they're already doing, the confidence to do it well and do it like sort of regularly and figure out what their strategy is. And like, you know, together with all their other investments and things like that. And so ultimately, you know, we would love, we always talk as a company, you know, we're heavily focused on the short-term active trading right now, but, you know, eventually we want this to be a, a big part of your overall portfolio. Like there's no reason that with knowing, you know, with a good options trading platform alongside your investments and all, you know, you should be able to, it should help you sleep at night. You know, the market is in turmoil and everybody's freaking out and making bad decisions because people make bad decisions with their investments when things are confusing. Um, you know, if you have a little bit of options in your portfolio that's hedging that, you know, the investments that you plan on, you know, using 10 years from now, um, you know, that's a great thing to be remembered as. It's like, you know, giving the people the confidence to actually do it. What does the future of options AI look like to you? Yeah, I think it's I think it's just bigger than the you know right now I would say and this is across the entire options market I think a huge portion of options volume is quite short term and quite speculative and you know we want we want to be longer term you know part of the thing we want to get to is to be longer term like what I was just mentioning. And then we want to get into other asset classes, you know, like right now we're focused on equities and, you know, equity options. You know, we want to get into the, you know, options in crypto, which are a thing, but they're not a big thing yet. And we're sort of, you know, we're, we're watching that and we're, you know, waiting to make our move on that. And then, you know, obviously other asset classes, but, you know, crypto is a really interesting one because there are options out there. I think, you know, obviously, if you were just watching, you know, like Bitcoin go from 60,000 to 30,000, like, I'm sure there's people out there that are like, oh, man, if I had only owned some put spreads, right? I could sleep like a baby. Right. <laughs> Agreed. Well, CC, thank you so much for your time today, man. I really enjoyed talking with you and learning from you. I'm but, you know, before I let you go. At the end of every podcast, we like to play a rapid fire question game where I uh -oh. ask you three questions. So if you're willing to play, I'll go ahead and get started. Sure. Okay. Question number one, where's your favorite place to travel? Mm. Well, I would say, well, there are a couple of places. One is going home where I grew up because then I get like, you can't get Maryland seafood. Well, you're from North Carolina, right? North Carolina has good seafood too. But Maryland seafood is quite unique and you can't get that anywhere. So I enjoy going home to Baltimore and eating crabs and all, um, which I can't get here. It's like a thousand dollars to ship out here. And internationally, I would say like, I don't know. I always enjoy like being in Paris 
Um, it's just such a cool city. It's like the, I always think of Paris. I used to live in Greenwich Village in New York. And I think of like all of Paris is like Greenwich Village. You know, it's just got that vibe where it's like, there's tons of stuff going on. There's cafes, there's music, there's art everywhere. And it's like, it feels like the whole city is like that. So I really get pumped. You know, I've only, I mean, I've been there a few times, let's say, but every time I'm there, I've been there, I'm super excited. That's awesome, man. Question number two, what song represents your life the most? Oh gosh. Um, I would say, well, you know, I have favorite bands. My favorite band is Radiohead. Um, and, you know, the reasons behind that is a lot of the points we talked about today, which is like, I mean, they're a band that's like totally restless, not afraid to totally blow up what they did on the album before and completely change sound and really like challenge their listeners. Right. Um, you know, at the, like almost like, like the career suicide, like on some albums, you're like, what were they thinking? And then it like, they pull it off. Right. So they know right. what they're doing. Right. Right. Uh, a song of theirs. Um, I don't know, maybe like how to disappear completely. And that's off of kid a. And uh, it was, you know, personal, like I was living in New York. Uh, I actually like worked right across the street from the World Trade Center, like not to be a downer, but like on September 11th and all. And that that yeah. uh, album was out like right before that. And I was listening to that album over and over again. So I sort of associated it with that time. And then the, the lyrics of the song are really about like kind of escaping, you know, escaping horrible you know moments or whatever it is like depression things like that and so it's like a really powerful song now that's super dope yep. and look final question what's an amazing thing that you did that no one was around to see oh gosh um <clears throat> i can't think of anything particular i would say like a habit that i have which is and i did this this was when I lived in New York and, you know, now that I live in Boulder, I, you know, you're staring at a computer screen all day. I mean, most of your audience probably does that at this point too. And I just get out and like here, I, you know, I'm near the mountains and, you know, as you are in like Reno and just getting out and hiking like every day, I try to do like a 45 to an hour and a half hike every day. And so you're alone, right? And every time is different, right? It's slightly different, like it's impossible. And so that reset of your brain is really helpful. And it clears all of that like monotony in your life of like staring at a computer, or whether you're, you know, even if you like live someplace where you're driving to work every day, which, you know, I'm lucky not to have to drive and commute very far here. Um, and that sort of thing. And I did the same thing in New York. And so New York, like sometimes I'd be like, coming back, you know, I'd have a 20 block, 25 block subway ride ahead of me. And I'd be like, you know what? I'm just going to walk this. You walk in the streets of New York and just like every time is super unique and you see something crazy. Yeah. And you're like, I'm the only person that just saw that like in the yeah. world. Right. And it'll never happen again. And that kind of stuff happens in nature. It happens in cities and it happens like if you live in the suburbs or wherever it is, like just sort of get out there and like experience something. Cause you literally, there's, there's stuff you'll only see and you'll be the only person in the world to ever see it, which is kind of wild. Man, that's incredible. CC, thank you so much for your time today, man. I, I really enjoyed speaking with you. 
Oh yeah, great to meet you. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir.